everybody, welcome back to the Leading Business Podcast uh, brought to you by Swick Technologies. My name is Eric Clark, and we have uh, Shane Craning with us on the line also, per usual. What's up, Shane? Not much. How's it going? It's going good. Happy Monday. <laughs> Always a happy Monday. I think happy Friday is probably a more appropriate term, but I guess you can use happy Monday. Sure. We want to be happy on Mondays. Positive outlook going into the week. All right. Uh, we want to... <laughs> We want to just get right into it. I think today, uh, for time's sake, we have a, a very uh, busy person online with us, Joel Bork, the senior threat hunter for IronNet. And today we're going to talk with Joel about cybersecurity and staying protected in an evolving threat landscape, something that's really top of mind and critically important uh, in today's landscape, as it always is, uh, but especially with everything going on with COVID and everyone working from home, from home networks, et cetera. So, um, Joel, why don't you just take a second to introduce yourself? Give us some background and context on you, and then we'll dive into IronNet from there. Yeah, you got it, Eric and Shane. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on today. Uh, wow, quick introduction to myself. I, As you mentioned, I'm a threat hunter at IronNet Cybersecurity, so uh, working with our teams to better protect our clients, and we're in a really unique space. So if you're okay with it, I'll just jump right into IronNet Cybersecurity as well, if that's cool. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. So at IronNet Cybersecurity, what we do is we're actually a network traffic analysis organization, and we're working on bringing collective defense to the cybersecurity threat landscape. So I'm a threat hunter using those tools and techniques, uh, but what's really powerful is using collective defense. We're actually able to work together to better defend and detect threats hitting organizations across the world. So it's really exciting times uh, at our company. Nice. So Joel, go ahead. Yeah, Joel, you mentioned that you're a threat hunter. I don't think many people really know or possibly understand what that means. Like, what is your day to day? What is what is a threat hunter doing? Yeah, that's a really good question. So what threat hunting is, is it's really proactively searching for advanced threats, right? So a lot of people are very uh, alert driven with the existing tools they have already. Now, we do do alerting in our tool, but this is really much a forward thinking analyzing the behaviors and not just focusing on signatures. So if somebody's watching who doesn't really know what signatures are, signatures are when you take a threat that exists and you can create a hash for it or a signature. And then you basically push that out to all your tools. So if something matches that exact signature, you'll detect it. But what we know is that all you have to do is change one character and that entire signature changes. So that's why we're here is to help detect and proactively detect those threats. So you're looking for some of the behaviors that have led to those signatures, so to speak, to identify one step ahead of the game. That's it, right? So imagine somebody changes the signature, but they're using the same tools, the same techniques, right? The stuff they already know how to do, that's much more difficult to change. You almost need a whole new person. But if you can detect those behaviors, now you've taken your defensive capabilities to a new level. And so you're analyzing quite a bit to be able to do that. I presume, um, you know, what types of tools or technology do you guys leverage to do that without getting into how the sausage is made or the secret sauce, so to speak, uh, maybe anything in general terms to help some of the lay persons listening uh, as well as some of the advanced ones? Yeah, that's a great question. So we do a, we can do log analysis, right? So really our entry level, uh, I know one of the questions we discussed uh, bringing up was what's kind of your target market from IronNet. And we we really started out, our leadership is very offensive based, right? So General Alexander was one of the longest serving uh, directors of the NSA, right? So very offensive based capabilities. And so we have a lot of talent in that regards. Um, but 
we were approached saying we need to better collectively defend the energy sector, right? And that's where this whole idea kicked off was we need to allow these organizations to work together to better defend themselves. So we started with large organizations and placing like a sensor on their network so we can ingest all of that metadata, parse it, run analytics over it, really comprehensive service. And over the last few years, we've realized, okay, we need to take our scope and spread it. So we're not just hitting just the Fortune 500, Fortune 100 organizations, but we can help some of the SMBs. So now we can do log ingest, but we can still correlate those findings with the larger organizations. So let's take one of your clients, for example, right? They, they may have a really good security stack, right? We've talked about some of the tools and techniques your company provides, really robust detection systems. But now let's take a really small, let's say law firm or something, right? They're sending us their logs. Well, then you can actually correlate those findings and those two security teams can work together. Uh, and that's something that's not been possible before. That's wild. So you have a lot of um, experience at the helm kind of driving this ship for you. I like the offensive kind of posture that you're deploying and being it's proactive. Proactive is a word that gets a little tired at Swiktech, and I feel like I'm beating uh, a drum when I say that, but it truly is. We want to be as ahead of the game as much as possible from every aspect of what we do. It sounds like you've taken that to a whole nother, a whole nother level. Um, and now you're kind of bringing it like back down and trickling it down to the SMBs. That's pretty cool. How's that been going so far for you as far as it's learning? It's in regards to the SMB aspect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How's that kind of helped the, the, you know, the up market, so to speak, of the enterprise level? Has there been some like cross pollination of learnings between the two worlds? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's interesting to see our findings. So I, I believe when this organization was first started, you know, we wanted to protect energy. But then what we realized is, you know, advanced threat actors, they're not just hitting just energy, right? Like they're not going energy company, energy company, energy company. They may want to disrupt something. And then if they fail, they may actually pivot and use uh, some of those techniques to hit a finance company or right, somebody on the national government level. And then also, of course, you have your prey and spray techniques, right? Where you have threat actors who have public infrastructure and you have something hitting all kinds of people. So being able to detect those threats and even though it doesn't match a signature, say, hey, you're seeing the same uh, indicators that this organization was, you should be aware of the presence. And that's been important, right? So you're going to see those SMBs get hit by those same threats at times that larger organizations are. So is there like an alert alarm that goes off when you identify these behaviors to trip the trigger, so to speak? Like how does the trap get set off and what happens? Is it like, oh my gosh, we felt like, scary right but for you guys it's something that you do as a core business how exciting to i have identified something and then go attack it maybe you can talk about that a little bit that sounds kind of uh, interesting yeah that's a that's a fun question so it's yes we have an alerting system so each organization would have their own set of alerts that's fully integrated with their sim or soar but then we have something overarching which is the collective defense mechanism called iron dome and this is where those correlations happen in near real time, right? So you take something where you might have a behavioral detection that takes a little while, but once you have either, we're able to take those behaviors and classify them and then correlate those behaviors. So once you have that, your detection time then goes down to almost nothing because you're just seeing that behavior and you can say, okay, you'll get an Iron Dome notification pushed to your Simmer SOAR or in our tool saying, hey, you have a correlated alert from somebody else in the finance sector. Now we anonymize it, right? So you don't know if it's your next door neighbor or the big organization in New York, right? You just know that it was in this sector and it was seen, when was it seen, when was it stopped? But then you can also share comments, right? So, hey, 
this threat was seen in our environment. Here are the steps we needed to do to remediate it. Um, and then that organization can verify that that's what's hitting their environment and then take similar steps or different steps, depending on what their infrastructure looks like. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. That's a very powerful tool when you think about it that way. Yeah. So and you're, go ahead, Shane. Go ahead, Shane. <laughs> Joel, I just, uh, I feel like I'm pretty smart, but some of the security stuff goes even over my head when it comes to technology a little bit. So I'm just trying to like piece this puzzle together a little bit. So I'm going to throw in a thought out there that I have about this and correct me if I'm way off base. But you mentioned like hashes, right? And then you're tracking those hashes and seeing the changes and stuff. So it seems like this is kind of like that next evolution of cybersecurity, right? So we kind of have, we have the basic, the antivirus concept, right? Where you have definitions or hashes um, related to specific programs and applications just on, a, on an individual device or a computer, right? Mm -hmm. And then a layer up from that, from antivirus is kind of your endpoint detection, right? So you've got companies like Huntress and there's other ones out there that do kind of more still endpoint level, but it's kind of like what you're doing where they're, they're crowdsourcing, you know, they know, okay, this is malicious or that's malicious. This file path is malicious. This hash is malicious. And they're searching for that on individual systems. And then it sounds like what you guys are doing is kind of a level up from that. You're in the network space, kind of actively learning and building a database about all of those different malicious actors and ways that they can kind of enter into a network. Did I, does that make, is that kind of? Yeah, you're spot accurate? on it. You absolutely are, Shane. And I've been really impressed with what Huntress does, right? So Huntress is taking those signatures and then they do actually perform some behavioral analysis after those signatures, right? And they do a really good job uh, doing that. And I, don't quote me on this, but I think they're in Maryland as well. So they get an extra point for that. Um, <laughs> but we, we've kind of taken that, we've flipped it, right? So we started with the behaviors. And one of the misconceptions is that, you know, it's it's just different but it's actually much more difficult and it takes a lot more computational power, right? So we've really built in the machine learning capabilities. And the thing is, is every environment's different. So we've had to baseline every single client's environment because they're using different security tools and different, uh, every entity has its own baseline. So it's, it's about defense in depth, right? You have to have your Huntresses, you have to have your standard AV, but then you're right. What is that next evolution of cybersecurity gonna look like? And it's gonna be taking those and integrating those into a behavioral correlation engine like ours. Oh, very cool. So you mentioned, yeah, obviously, yeah, every client, right? Every small business, every large business, everyone's gonna have kind of a slightly different environment, whether that be a different firewall, you know, different network infrastructure, all that stuff, different number of people, everything. Um, so when you're saying you're baselining this, do you, are you guys to a point where the data you're getting out from all those environments is the same? And you, so that you can kind of correlate across everything or do, is there a lot of like manual involvement there afterwards? It's a mix, right? So you have to understand when you're doing behavioral detections, there are going to be false positives, right? And it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of a misnomer in the community that, oh, um, you know, it's an anomaly detection. Like there is no false positive, right? I've heard this from other vendors, but the reality is no, like there's benign, you know, beaconing behavior while a lot of malware looks like as beaconing behavior, it's reaching out of your network on a regular basis to its command and control server. There are things in your browser that are totally benign that exhibit similar beaconing behaviors. Yeah, sure. 
so you we do as you know part of our white glove service we come in and our hunters will actually help tune the environment and whitelist a lot of those false positives out that's great it's quite the service and and you guys are global national like definitely global yeah we're working with countries actually to help better defend entire countries which is beyond where i ever imagined this organization going but it's really cool to see that's great and how did you maybe this kind of get us into the next kind of um topic here but how did you arrive you know where you're at at ironet and in your role like what was that journey like for you and how have some of the past experiences kind of lend itself to where you're going that's a good question and i'll tell you but then i want to hear more about your company okay um (laughs) so i uh I actually started out as doing FedRAMP pen testing. So when I got into the cyberspace, um, uh, a gentleman introduced me to another gentleman, and he was just kicking off an organization being a third-party assessment organization. And basically what that means is when a company wants to sell their product to the government and it's a cloud service, right? So think uh, Google, G Suite, uh, whatever cloud service it is, it has to be FedRAMP assessed and certified. So we were the penetration testers who would come in and if they had mobile applications, we would test those. We'd te- pen test their network, their web applications. And then we'd even get a do OSINT research or open source research and intelligence, pick their administrators and craft phishing campaigns. And man, you'd be amazed the amount of people still clicking those links. No, the administrators. We say the same thing to folks. So I hear that. And so it comes back to training your people, right? So, and I, I don't know, what what are you guys doing to just, you have to train people repeatedly. It has to be ingrained. It has to be part of them as a person. But if you're not a security person, sometimes that's difficult. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And we've, we've tried all different ways to train folks. We, you know, we do these podcasts and these lessons and learnings and webinars and stuff. So there's all the content we're pumping out there just to try and get, the security stuff in front of folks. Um, and then on an actual like client level, um, we really ask our whole team to preach security to clients. And then we also offer security trainings. So we'll go into a client and teach them all about phishing scams and you know what to look for in their email, all that sort of stuff. And then we've also um, more recently partnered with Know Before. I'm sure you're familiar with them on the email phishing campaign side to do the, you know, as a benchmark like hey we did training here's where everyone scored before we came out we did the training here's where everyone scored after the fact and look of course there's still deficiencies here because it's ongoing forever we always have to be uh training folks there's new people coming in there's people getting promoted different access etc so it, it is an ongoing game one that you know even me as an end user and i'm not technical unlike the two of you so for me um the trainings that we've done that I've been a part of, the osmosis that I've absorbed from those things have helped me greatly, uh, personally and professionally. And I've been able to identify things that, you know, I know are just totally um, engineered to try to get my attention. And I've been able to identify some of the stop gaps and say, oh, well, this is bad because this sender or the two address or whatever, right? Um, it's a huge, huge part of it. I think, you know, we as humans are the last line of defense. However, we're humans and we're all fallible. So no matter what, what title you carry, uh, we all have common traits across the human, uh, you know, ecosystem. So it's like, I'm sure it was interesting for you to be crafting uh, campaigns against administrators. Um, you know, at the end of the day, they're still, they're still humans too, right? 
it's true and you know you make them real the emails are it's almost it's so hard to even tell them apart right so at some point you can do it so crafted and that's what spear phishing is right it's somebody who's you know if i'm doing open source res open source research i know exactly what tools your organization uses right are you using adp for your payroll right i can craft an email around that are you using what are you using for your ticketing system is it jira right i can craft an email around that the email right and i can spearfish your organization so at some point you know it, it takes you know shane mentioned we have to preach security. You mentioned the training and showing that it makes a difference, right? We have to put that on the forefront. But then let me ask you gentlemen a question. What happens when somebody's so good that it's literally not your user's fault anymore and they click that link? How do you detect it if the domain is brand new, right? It's not on any blacklist. It's been around for a little while, so it doesn't flag any signature detections. That's when the network traffic occurs to that fishy domain, and that's where we come in help detect that after the click so fascinating and are you guys doing anything on the remediation side just curious or is there anybody you're partnered with for that because we don't uh, do a whole lot of that ourselves either uh, for at least ransomware cyber outbreaks things like that and if it's someone that's in our client base you know um, we haven't really had a lot of people break through that mm -hmm. would, um, or anybody I'll join you in that <laughs> <laughs> but you know we've been we've been engaged by people that are outside of our client base that have had ransomware attacks and things of that nature, and um, some of them had been engaged with third-party remediation companies where that's all they do is specialize in negotiating those um, hostage kind of situations um, and data breaches, et cetera. Are you guys doing anything in that side of things? It's a really good question. And so we've focused on integrations, right, with SIM and SOAR platforms so that those playbooks are followed. And then we do have some partners who are fantastic when it comes to forensic investigations. Uh, but that's not really our niche, right? Our niche is reducing that dwell time because you have to imagine the link's been clicked, somebody's in your network. That dwell time has been, over, I, I don't even know the date anymore, but 100, uh, over 100 days. If you don't have visibility into those activities occurring on your network, they can pivot around, they can right? even ransomware. A lot, of, a lot of the time, it's not just one click and, oh, that box is encrypted. Sometimes it is. But for these larger scale attacks, that threat actor is pivoting around the network, encrypting multiple devices when the time's right. So what is that um, dwell time? Can you talk about what that is for the folks that might not know what that means? Yeah, that's a great question. How long they're actually... kind of sitting in your network, watching and waiting before they detonate or? Yeah, so let me pull up the. 2019 Verizon report. So Verizon does a report every year on the breaches that have occurred. And what the dwell time is, is it's saying from the time a hacker breaches your network, right, and gets in, how long do they have in there before your incident response team and your forensic investigators can get them out? And let me see if I can do a quick search for dwell time. Mm hmm. So that's like the equivalent of, you know, someone robs a bank. They're not going to linger, right? They're going to get the heck out of there. <laughs> right. Very different, right? These guys want, they want persistence. They want a backdoor so they can get back in at later dates, right? So very different from a bank robbery, but I love the analogy. <laughs> um, I'm not seeing, oh, here we go. Average dwell time is between 49 to 150 days. Wow. Wow. So that's after the fact. Yeah, that's after that's the user clicks link. Everything that happened, uh, you know, pre-outbreak, right? Because they may have been sitting, watching, waiting, and learning for up to 90 days or more, and then they, you know, detonate, do whatever they do. 
encrypt, mm -hmm. etc. And then they're dwelling for, you know, would you say it was 50 to 90 days? 50 to 150 days. So what you is know. that? Five months? So, and that's where the backdoor stuff becomes, like I know for Huntress is a specific example that will help identify those backdoors to make sure there's no way back in. But uh, that's interesting to, when you say pivot around the network, it makes me feel like you're just running around a loop of like, you know, in a hotel looking for all the open doors and you're running down the halls and they're like, well, the cops are on the first floor, but they're on the fourth floor and the cops go to the fourth floor, but they're on the elevator going back down to the third floor. It's like, well, this door is kept unlocked and this room's attached. and you know, you're kind of like monitoring those those pathways and determining which you know behaviors they're taking so you can put a stop to it. That's Sorry it. about the analogies. It's just how my those mind are great. <laughs> I have to be able to visualize this stuff. As a That's so good. And then the back door would be the hackers like what in the ice room, right? The with the ice machine and he's yeah. locked himself in there, but he's got a stairwell straight out the back door. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting to be able to to bring that all together. That was a, I love that analogy. <laughs> we don't want to talk about the the movie the inside man where they actually just stay inside the walls and then walk out as a as a client later on i love that movie maybe that's uh, the one that i shouldn't have given away but <laughs> i'm gonna have to watch say, that movie. you did just like ruin the whole premise although yeah. the name kind of gives it away too eric so i won't be too hard on you sure sure yeah like the movie the departed uh anyways <laughs> Shane, where are we going next? Because I've lost ourselves. Yeah, uh, no, it's all right. Um, I think, I, I mean, this has all been awesome. I think, you know, we can kind of end on a few good topics. Before we end, you guys got to tell me a little bit more about the services you guys have found really effective for your clients. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, and then, I mean, I think that's kind of the next topic here is what are some, what are three of the best things that people can be doing to protect themselves? Um, and that's where we come in a lot and I'll let you speak to this too, Joel. Um, but some of the items we've been doing, uh, I mentioned the end user training, right? So helping people learn what not to do and what to do, um, is obviously super valuable, but that doesn't stop the threats from coming in and showing up. Right. So a couple of other things we've been doing, um, we focus big on two factor authentication or multi-factor authentication, getting that turned on at the very least for a client's email environment. Right, that's where you're going to see a lot of the threats coming through. Um, and then we do a lot with uh, tools around spam filtering and just kind of spam mitigation. So uh, we use the Microsoft Office 365 suite the most. That's what a lot of our clients have. Um, and so some big items there we focus on on the spam filtering side would be like uh, SPF, sender policy framework and DKIM and DMARC, making sure right that the email that is being sent to someone is really coming from where it says it's coming from it's coming from the person that says it's coming from all of that uh, and then we use some more advanced threat tools to control safe links so or control links and attachments right so you can scan links and attachments that are coming into email accounts and if it's malicious it won't even let the person click on it you know if they click on it it'll take them out to a website that says, no, no, we're watching this and it's not safe for you to go there sort of thing. So we're stopping it before the person can even type in their credentials or give away their information. You know, we're trying uh, to mitigate as much the stuff, if it's like a funnel, right? All the stuff coming in, we're trying to minimize the number of risks coming through to that end user as much as possible and training against that too. Yeah. It's uh, not even to talk about like the, the hard perimeter and like the firewall permissions and web filtering and things of that nature too. Um, and tightening all those things up and creating different policies, et cetera. Yeah, you're, re you're reducing that attack surface, right? I mean, if you can reduce the amount of stuff coming into somebody's inbox, that's just 
you know, they may come in exhausted on Monday. I'm not saying any of us are exhausted today, but <laughs> <laughs> looks like you guys have all had your coffee. But right, if they only have two threats, you know, malicious emails in there, we're programmed to click. But if they can, they have less to have to filter through. Hopefully, you're mitigating that attack surface. I love. Yeah, that. And, there, and there's a balance there too, right? We don't want to just stop mail flow, and now all of a sudden, our customers are losing leads for their business, and you know, so we there's a big balance there. Um, and I think that's where the tools behind the scenes and, you know, stuff like what IronNet is doing to be able to learn and understand behavior um, are are huge. They're so critical because we're never going to be able to stop all of the spam from coming in and all of the attacks. But it sounds like what you're doing is, I mean, you guys are on the right track and it sounds like it's yeah. working for your clients. So the, the thing we like, I mean, it's obviously there are no silver bullets and the life cycle and anatomy of an attack or cyber attack can come at any crevice and corner. It's not going to follow a linear path. Um, but MFA has been a huge one for us. Password bolts have been a big one. And um, some other things that might be a little bit more advanced for some folks is uh, geotagging, like uh, putting a perimeter around a certain geographic area. So if you're outside of this area, you can't even hit our network, right? If we know that 99% of the attacks are coming from Russia, well, if you're trying to log in from there, it's just not going to happen. Um, and so helping clients identify what are those geo networks that they have can deploy, et cetera. Um, you know, how can we turn that on for certain users and things like that? And that's important because how easy is it not to turn on two-factor authentication or not, right? I mean, it's so easy not to. So just having you guys there, because you're right, two-factor authentication is going to mitigate, once again, reduce that attack surface that much more. So yeah. what you guys are doing is essential. Yeah, and then I'd be remiss to not mention backups, right? So uh, it's not technically cybersecurity, but we put all these security measures in place and then sometimes something bad still happens. So we got to make sure our clients always have some sort of offsite or air-gapped backup environment where we can restore their data so they can get back up and running if something does happen. And how many times do we see that not happen with clients, right? That they haven't tested those backups. So if you guys are performing backups and testing them, I'm going to say that is cybersecurity. Yeah. I heard, I was talking to someone last week. This is off topic, but I'm curious to hear uh, real time, Joel, if you've heard anything like this and I have some thoughts on it, but I've heard that the uh, ransomware attacks have taken a different approach. So instead of just saying, you know, we've deleted your backups, if you want them back, pay us ransomware, great. It sounds like they've taken it to the next level of, if you don't pay us, we're going to release the data to the world, right? right? If it's customer sensitive information, if you don't pay us, we're going to put it out into, I don't know, the dark web or, or wherever. Um, my argument there is, well, I, I already don't trust you. You're already a bad actor and a criminal. Like, what's to say you wouldn't do that anyways? So great, you just found a new way to threaten me. But have you seen anything like that or anything like that in your corner of the world over there? Yeah, so all right, so I got to do a shameless pl plug. Last week, Bill Swearingen, my podcast co-host on collective defense podcast it's at collectivedefense.net but we just did an episode called ransomware to pay or not to pay um and okay. what you're what you're describing is may's ransomware so it's it's crazy but there's actually a ransomware group who's got a reputation and what they're doing is they're doing exactly what you said encrypted they'll take a copy of your data right and they leave yours encrypted and they said okay if you you know, if you're not going to pay us, we'll start releasing data and they do and they'll give a snippet and they'll say, OK, pay us or we'll do more. And they do until they're paid. It's like taking hostages and saying, OK, we aren't bluffing. So do you negotiate with them? I don't know. 
right? I don't know. And it depends on what type of position. Because if your data is backed up, at that point, you're in a different paradigm. Right. That's not just backup anymore. Well, and that so means you need to tighten up your perimeters as much as you can to prevent these attacks from even getting through to begin with. Yeah, but once again, that, that's a world that I know very little about. It's just conversationally very fascinating to me because it's you know some ethics come into that, right? Well, and it was interesting. So in this and in this podcast, we did you know Bill's job was to just tell me not to pay. And before the podcast, he goes, "Oh, this is going to be easy. Like I could tell you not to pay through any scenario." And I throw him the first scenario, and he's like, oh, "I'd pay it. I'd pay it." <laughs> I was like, "You know, but." We got into, you'll have to listen to it, but we got into it for a bit and there was one in, there was a city in Florida and you mentioned, you know, that, uh, I won't get personal, but you know, somebody moving to Florida, Shane, there's a city in Florida and they got affected by ransomware. It affected their delivery, the delivery of water to their constituents. Yeah. And now you're talking about human life on the line. Now do you pay it or do you not? They did. And it was like 600 grand. Wow. Right. So. Would quality backups help? Absolutely. Would two-factor of authentication help? Absolutely. You have to make sure it's turned on for everybody, right? It's about continuous security awareness training. It's about being able to detect them once they're inside your network so they don't get that far, right? And it's defense in depth. And yeah, that makes me think that just the aspect of them getting, not only is someone in your network, not only have they now encrypted your data, but now they also have a separate copy of it somewhere else and they can release it to the world. Uh, makes me think about how much more these cloud platform as a service solutions are going to be so much more valuable to businesses as we continue down the cloud path and the software as a service path, right? When we're talking about Google Suite or Microsoft Office 365, um, they have a lot of tools these days um, where you can turn on information protection, right? Data protection where it can sense and see when you know, so-and-so downloaded an unusual amount of data or a file that has private information that's not supposed to be accessed, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, it's going to be really interesting as the landscape shifts more and more to those services. Um, and it's, I'm not sure if that's going to be the solution, if that will stop some of this or not, but I sure hope so. Well, and even more so with this COVID-19 thing happening right now, as people go more and more remote, right? It just makes more sense to go that route. So, once uh, once we figure it out and we look back, you guys will have to have me on again. We'll talk about it. Definitely. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. At all. And and we kind of hit on it, but like, what are in in your um, professional opinion? What are the top three things people can be doing to level themselves up to become more secure? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we hit on it, right? You have to you have to increase your detection capabilities, uh, and network traffic is is one of the places you can do that. Two factor authentication, please. Please hire these guys so they can help you turn it on. End user training is essential, right? But then you have to have a team monitoring that stuff, right? So it's difficult to find the right cybersecurity professionals, but it is a task worth doing. That's good. Cool. How do people find out more about you and what you have going on? Yeah, so from an organizational perspective, our company just launched their new website, so ironnet.com. Also, I'm on LinkedIn, so just search Joel Bork. There's only one of me, so uh, I'm not too hard to find. But I'm, I'm looking forward to connecting with you guys on there. And then once again, collectivedefense.net, that's my podcast that we're running uh, for IronNet. Yeah, Joel, I am super to check out the Collective Defense podcast. Can you give us just a quick like elevator speech on, on what your podcast kind of all encompasses? 
Yeah, I mean, collective defense, right? When we talk about, and I need to quit saying right, I've realized I've said that a few times already, but uh, the collective defense podcast, it's about coming together, realizing what threats are hitting the collective community, and then what are tips we can give everybody, right? So it may not be, okay, you have to have our platform, but just like this, turn on two-factor authentication. That would mitigate this risk. What can you do to get backups activated? What cloud services can you turn on, right? So that tip alone, if somebody who was using O365 knew that they could turn on data protection services, they may not have known that, but it could save them a, wor uh, a world of hurt later on down the road. So that's what the Collective Defense Podcast is about. It's about talking about news, cybersecurity news, and then what people can do to help mitigate that. That's great. I like the, the kind of two form factor of that. Here's what's going on. Here's some things. We'll bring it back down to earth and make it more practical. That's great. Very cool. Um, Shane, it looks like we got to do a plug here for ourselves. We do. Yeah. It sounds like we have a webinar coming up, Eric. Yeah. So uh, Swift Tech has been, we, we used to do back when people could like be at restaurants together and, and socialize um, without all sorts of scary things happening around that. Uh, we call them brain food events. So um, now they're webinars for the foreseeable future, but we're running one called the Cybersecurity Secret Sauce. It's SwickTech's recipe for complete protection. It's a free webinar. Uh, it'll be June 24th, which is in two days, Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. And you can go to swicktech.com slash events or just go to our events tab and you'll see our webinars there and you can register for free through Eventbrite. If you know anybody that uh, might want to attend this, it's they're really informative. We do a good job with these things. Yeah, I'm excited about that one, Eric. We've we've done brain food events around that cybersecurity topic as well, and it's going to be a lot about what we touched on today with Joel, um, but also kind of more of our formula, our step-by-step -step process for the things we can light up for a business to help protect them. Yeah, very good. Cool. I'll be there, guys. Thanks for having me on. Great. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Joel. It was super enlightening to hear more about IronNet and just threat hunting in general. So thanks for sharing all that. You got it. Let's do it again sometime.